Again, from my side, a warm welcome to everyone, to everyone watching online today, everyone who can't be here because they're like, ah, oh, it's COVID, I still want to don't meet with people, or everyone is just not in Cape Town. Over lockdown, we've had people watching from all over the world, people from Pretoria, people from Springs, people from Joburg, um, wherever. We are so glad that you are joining us online today, and um, for everyone in person, it's so great to be back, isn't it? And I told our team when we met beforehand, God has given us a new venue, and that's one of the amazing things that came out of lockdown, is we've got a venue that we can grow into, a venue with space, a venue with parking, where we can do multiple services. So we're trusting God to, after COVID, to rebuild this church, not just in this location, but across South Africa through the online platforms that has been established, and we are so excited about that. But today we're starting a new series a new series called Rebuild. And I love these shows where they rebuild old stuff. Okay, that can be old cars. It can be old motorbikes. It can be old houses. It can be old bridges, trains, boats, whatever it is. I love it when they take something that's completely dilapidated, something that's broken, something that's been weathered, and they turn it into something amazing. And we're starting this series because COVID... And, and, and it's still continuing, right? We're in level one, but it doesn't mean it's over. Has lost, has left a trail of devastation. And some of my friends are pastors in, in New York, and there's not one of them that hasn't done multiple funerals for people that died up because of COVID in New York. And you might not have felt that so intently in South Africa, intensely. We haven't seen the death rate that they've seen, although they say our rate might be higher than than it might be. But we felt other things. We felt the economic impact of this. People are like, will our economy recover? Will my, my savings, if I'm on pension, will that recover? Because that's all I have to live off. Some people lost their jobs. They're like, will I ever find a job again? Some people didn't lose their jobs, but they are in entertainment or they are um, Uber drivers or they have restaurants and they're like, we're still struggling to just get by. I spoke to a businessman in our church this week that said after COVID, there was a bit of an uptick and now it was just down again and he couldn't pay his staff now for the last week. It's like, will that recover? We've all seen the statistics on marriages during lockdown across the world. Divorce rate went up. People are locked together. They can't, they can't stand each other for, for 24 hours a day. And marriages are falling apart at an incredible rate. People's health have been going south because they are binge-watching Netflix and eating chocolates the whole day long, right? They stopped training. So health is going south. I just read in the news that our social economical gap just got bigger. So this crisis didn't, bring, didn't make the gap smaller. The poor just got poorer and the rich just got richer. And now the gap is even bigger than before. So almost on every level, we see the devastation of a virus that we can't even see with our naked eye. And the question is often when we face something like this, when you're facing a marriage that's falling apart, when you don't know how your finances are going to work out, the question is, how do I rebuild? Can I even rebuild? Is it even possible? And that is why we started this series, because I believe we can rebuild not only our own lives, but we can rebuild a society, we can rebuild a country. And I believe that Christians specifically has been called by God for this job. And that's why we're starting this series. And one of the things that I love about these classic shows, especially classic cars, 
is you get these cars that are completely rusted through. It's like you can't do anything with it. If it was my car, I would have put some fiberglass on it, right, and try to, to patch it up. But what's interesting is there will be, I, I watch a show where this guy walks into a scrapyard and there's a car that they are about to crush that's like 60, 70, 80 years old and he's like, I want that car. And what started to, to, to tickle my imagination is what is the difference between a car that gets crushed in a scrapper and a car that gets restored to its former glory? What I learned is it's not the amount of damage. It's not the amount of rust. It's not the damage to the engine because I've seen the craziest cars that they resurrected. The only difference between a car that goes into the scrapper and a car that goes for a rebuild is someone who saw the potential of what that broken down car could be. And that is our topic today. Our first topic in the series rebuild is the potential of the build. The potential of the build. Gavin, you would have to go on for me, please. The potential of the build. And we're going to be talking, we're going to be listening, we're going to be reading the story of a man named Nehemiah in the Old Testament. A man that faced the wall of the city of Jerusalem that was completely destroyed, and God put it on his heart to rebuild this incredible wall. He's a simple man, he's got no resources, he's got no people behind him, and he has to do this job. So before we we um, start reading his story. I first wanted to give you a timeline. Now, if you're a bit of a history freak or you like things being analytical, you're like me, I like to get the details, okay? So here are the details of, of what happened to Israel. King David brought all the tribes together. It was this powerful kingdom. King Solomon, his son, took over. He just expanded the kingdom even more. It became the super strong kingdom. And then after Solomon, it started falling apart. And the kingdom of Israel split into two, into the northern part and into the southern part. The normal northern part was Samaria. The southern part was Judah. Um, Judea. They didn't like each other. They had all kinds of issues with each other. It, both of them believed that they were the chosen people of God. In the meantime, they, the whole group was, but they were like, no, no, we are. And they're like, no, no, we are. So there was this whole fight. And I want to show you a timeline of what happened after this kingdom split in two. In 722 before Christ, the Assyrians conquer the northern kingdom. And the guys in the south are like, I told you we are the people of God. Look at God gave you over to the enemy. You are destroyed. So the Assyrians take them away and um, into exile. And, and the, the southern kingdom is like, we're good. We're the chosen people of God. 136 years later, in 586 before Christ, the Babylonian Empire, super strong, comes and destroys the whole city of Jerusalem, the temple of God, the walls. Now the northern guys are like, we, we might not be in our country, but we told you we're the people of God. Now you are destroyed. So both are feeling chuffed to themselves. But everything is destroyed. 49 years later, the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And the Persian Empire kind of <clears throat> ruled the world before the Greeks, before Alexander the Great. He only came like in 333. But anyway, under the Persians, they allow the Jews 23 years later in 516 before Christ to rebuild the temple. God's temple is rebuilt, but guess what? The walls of the city is still broken. And it was another 71 years after the temple has been rebuilt before the time 
that Nehemiah comes into the picture to rebuild the wall. So here you see the history of the fall of Israel, the destruction that happened, the weathering of the car, the rust that kicked in, the, the illness that just destroyed the body. You see that like on this timeline and then how it starts to be rebuilt slowly but surely. But there's these breaks in history, these years where nothing happens. And you're going to hear a little bit today about why that happened. And we'll be reading from Nehemiah 1, verse 1 to 11. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, so this is the 20th year of that king's rule. While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is not in Jerusalem. He's not in the city that's been broken down. He questioned someone else about it. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heavens. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Now, I'm going to stop there. You can go and read the rest of the prayer on your own at home. That's your challenge. Go and read Nehemiah 1 and 2 this week. Okay, it's an awesome story. But then the last verse 11b, after his prayer, this is what it says. He then ends his prayer and he says, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. He wanted to go to the king to ask him permission to go and rebuild the wall. And just as a side note, I was a cupbearer to the king. I wasn't an important man. I wasn't a politician. I weren't high up in his court. I was the guy who had to drink the wine so in case it was poison that the king wouldn't die. Nehemiah gets news that breaks his heart. Is this new news? No, it's not. The wall has been destroyed for about 140 years. For the last 70 years, the temple has been rebuilt and the people living in the city has done nothing. He gets news that's not new news. It's actually old news. But it breaks his heart. He has never actually, probably never seen the temple or the walls of Jerusalem because he was born as an exile in a different country. Okay, he can't get on a plane. He can't get in a car. It's 1,400 kilometers away, so he can't easily get to Jerusalem. So he has probably never seen it. This is not new news. It's old news, but it breaks his heart. The Jews rebuilt the temple, and for 70 years they've been living, the ones that were in the city has been living in this ruined situation where the rust is just showing through the the pain, where the illness is, is breaking down the body. They've been living in this crisis moment for 70 years, and guess what they are doing? Nothing. His friend tells him they are in great distress. I'm like, why don't you do something about it? But they did nothing. They saw a problem, but they didn't do anything. And years before Nehemiah, years before it, 
in Ezekiel 20 verse 30. I want to read this to you. Ezekiel 20 verse 30. God actually wanted something to happen. Where's verse 30? Sorry, verse, I think it's 23. Okay, I don't have the spot. I'll seek it out later. I think it was 20 verse 30. But God says this. God says, I'm looking for someone amongst you who will rebuild the wall. Listen to the word what God is using, amongst you. I'm not looking for someone 1,400 kilometers away. I'm looking for someone that's in the problem, someone that's seeing it, someone that's capable of doing something to rebuild the wall. Then God says, I want someone who can stand in the gap. God is saying, I want someone whose heart breaks enough, not just to repair the wall, but to stand between the people of Israel and the holy God and confess their sins and confess their mistakes and repair this broken down relationship. God says, I'm looking for someone who will fix this problem. But no one showed up for a couple of hundred years. I want to tell you today, the first lesson that I learned from this story is no situation will ever improve until someone takes responsibility for it. Your life situation, your marriage, your health, your relationship with God, the addiction you have, the brokenness of our economy, the brokenness of South Africa, the crime we're facing, everything that we complain about day and night, just as the Jews did for 70 years, will not change until someone takes responsibility for it. Nehemiah was 1,400 kilometers away. He's never even seen the city. He hears the news and his heart breaks. Do you know how I know that his heart broke for this news? Because we read in verse 4 that he wept and mourned and fasted for days. Not for minutes, not for hours. He saw the devastation and he broke his heart. And he took the next step in verse, um, in verse 5 to 11 with the prayer, and he starts confessing the sins of Israel. He's like, God, I know the walls are broken because we didn't listen to you. But then he says this weird thing, I confess the sins of Israel, but also my own sin. I'm like, dude, you weren't even born when the walls were broken down. You, you're not even in that city. But he took responsibility for the problem in that moment, and in verse 11, he says, God, give me success. He had a plan to repair the walls. No situation will ever improve until someone takes responsibility. Nehemiah take, res, takes responsibility. Because and here is the reality of life. We often see brokenness. We often cry about the brokenness. We complain about the inequality of people. We complain about poverty. We complain about illness and death. We complain about the spiritual landscape in our country, but what do we do about it? What breaks your heart? Is it maybe your marriage? Is it maybe your relationship with the child or a family member? Is it the sin you cannot get rid of? Is it your relationship with God and you just feel so disconnected even if you pray and you say, God, give me success? You're not even sure if your prayer goes past your ceiling. Maybe it's the condition of our economy or the condition of our, our country. My heart breaks every time I think about the spiritual condition of South Africa. My heart breaks every time I drive past big church buildings and there's no one in there. 
But you see, the problem is we do nothing because we love to shift blame. When people see me for counseling, I always tell them it takes two to tango. Because the first thing people do is they always point the finger to the other person. When we think about the problems in our country, it's always someone else, right? It's the Guptas, it's the government, it's these people. Yes, there are people who is really doing bad stuff, right? And luckily, some of them have been arrested in this week. We're all like celebrating. But we love to point the finger to someone else. The Jews were living in the crisis, and you know what they were probably doing? Pointing the finger to someone else while they were living in misery. But there's, there's this lesson <laughs> I learned from, from a friend of mine when we moved to Cape Town. She was a lawyer, and she just finished the study. She, she was still busy with her articles. She was driving, and she accidentally skipped a stop street. Okay, and guess who was in front of her? A police car. So she hits a police car. The one car you never want to hit is a police car, especially not if it's a traffic officer. But she hit the police car. She got out, and she said the first thing she said is, why did you skip the stop street? The police were so confused. They thought they skipped the stop. Meantime, she skipped the stop. And she says, never tell anyone if you're guilty because then you take responsibility for the repairs. Now, if you're guilty, you, the Bible says we should confess it, right? But that was a proper lawyer talking. Because she knew if I take responsibility for the accident, I'm automatically taking responsibility for the repair of the damage. And that is what Nehemiah did by taking responsibility. He, he automatically took responsibility for the repair of the wall. We need to move past the place of just pointing a finger, of just crying. We need to get to a place where we start doing something, where we're saying, I'm not just seeing the problem in my marriage and complaining over my husband or my wife. I'm not just seeing the problems in the country and complaining about this around a fire. Or We were in Montague this week at the hot springs, and I was so frustrated. I kept moving to different sides of the pool because everywhere I'm going, someone is complaining either about COVID, the government, or corruption. I'm like, get something good to talk about or start praying about the problems. We need to move past that and we need to get to a point where we stop shifting blame and take the responsibility. And I know it's not easy. Whatever you're facing, whether you've got a heart for South Africa, for poverty, for illness, for widows, for orphans, for your marriage, for addiction, whatever that might be, the chances are you haven't done something about it, not just because you're shifting blame, but because it's really hard to fix something that's broken. I've watched some of those car shows where they have to cut pieces out of a car and they weld in new pieces after they've shaped them on these fancy machines. Because I just want to start fixing cars. I will never get it, but it looks so impressive. But it's hours of work. And it's not easy, and this wasn't easy for Nehemiah. He faced a problem. He's a little man. He's got no authority in the king's throne room. He's 1,400 kilometers away. He doesn't have resources to build a city wall of a couple of kilometers. Have you ever felt like that? I'm facing this problem. It breaks my heart. I want to do something about it. I just cannot. I have no idea where to start. I don't know if I'm able to do it. I, I, this is just out of my hands. I feel so powerless. I don't know what to do. Nehemiah's heart broke. He took responsibility. He started making a plan. Then he had to go to the king. And I want us to read what happened when he was standing in front of the king. Nehemiah 2, verse 1 to 8. 
In the month of Nisan, okay, so this is about three months later. Okay, so he was crying for a while, he was planning, he was praying. But three months later, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. So easy to skip over those words. But I say to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And you can go and read the rest of it, everything he asked for the king. And then after he asked the king, this is what he writes. He says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Fear has a way to stop us in our tracks when we're looking at our situation. We've cried over it. We've planned it. We want to fix the problems we're facing. We want to rebuild. We see the potential of the build, but it's just so big. What can one person do? How can I change the world? What difference can I make in, in this country? What can I do in a pandemic like this? How can I affect the economy? And then fear stops us in our tracks from doing and it, it makes us do nothing. Like the Jews that lived in the problem for 70 years and they did nothing. We know what to do, but we can't take the step. And I've seen guys on two car shows that I watched during lockdown. On both of the shows, both of those guys had a car that was sitting in their workshop for years. But it was so difficult or so expensive to the repair that they could never get themselves to finish it. Fear stopped them in their tracks because the job seemed too big. And it's so easy. We see the potential, but we just cannot start. Not only is this a super big job, but he has to go to a king. He's a nobody. He's the guy who drinks the wine so in case it's poison that he will die. So he's not the super big shot in the court that the king should listen to. Then he wants to go to the king and ask him to let him go back to the country that they came from, give him stuff, money and wood and stuff to rebuild the walls of a city that is used for what? Defense. He asked a king to give him money to rebuild the walls of a city. So what must that mean? Oh, they want to start a rebellion because the Jews were famous for rebellions, by the way, throughout history. They always had a rebellion going somewhere. So... That's the obvious thing. So he's standing in front of this king, and he's like, if I ask him this, the chances of him beheading me is great. I might lose my head today. This is not just an impossible mission. I might not walk out of this alive. And fear gripped him. I was very much afraid. I don't want us to read this story and think, oh, it was all easy. It was hard. It was difficult. And for a moment, fear stopped him in his tracks. For a moment. And then we read these words. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. 
Do you even see those words as you read the story? You missed that, right? That is a skitgebeke in Afrikaans. In English, you just shoot up a quick prayer, right? In the moment, he wants to ask the king, the moment is so big, fear grips him. And instead of him living in fear, instead of fear stopping him, he counters fear with faith. Instead of being frozen, he prays and he asks God, God, come through for me in a quick prayer that couldn't have been more than a couple of seconds because there's a comma and it says, and I answered the king. This was a couple of seconds. And I think in that moment, something happened. He might have thought he needed the king to give him permission and to give him money and to give him stuff. But in that one split second, he realized the only thing I need is God on my side. You see, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. It's sad that it sometimes takes, that life needs to take us to a point where we've got nothing except Jesus before we realize that it's actually all I need. We think we need so much more than we actually need. We think life is all about money and all about stuff, and actually it's like all of that will be gone soon. But Jesus is eternal. He prayed and he realized God was all he needed. God was all he had. And he goes to the king with faith, not with fear, but with boldness. And he asks the king to let him go. He asks the king for wood to rebuild the walls. He asks the king for letters. He asks the king for so much stuff in boldness. And I believe that is when God said in Ezekiel that he's looking for someone to stand in the gap, someone amongst you that will rebuild the wall. God was looking for a man like Nehemiah who will act in faith. In the brokenness of our world, in the brokenness of your marriage, in the brokenness of relationship, of whatever you're facing that's broken, God is looking for someone who will stand in faith who will stand in boldness, who will act in faith. And God loves it when we're in those spots because those are the times when our hands are tied. We know Jesus is all we need. We know Jesus is all we have. And that's when his power comes through because he's like, no one will mistake this miracle for human action. And if you're at a low place where you feel like I can never repair this car, I can never get my health back, I can ne- we're never going to see a change in this country. We're facing so many issues. I want to say, tell you, these are the moments when God is saying, I want someone amongst you, not someone from the U.S., not someone from Australia, not someone from China, not someone from anywhere. I want someone amongst you to rebuild. Because that's what my power will show. And Nehemiah said in verse 8, big, the king granted my request. This was a ridiculous request, but he said, let's go. I want to tell you today, no matter what you're facing, your situation is not bigger than God. No matter what you're facing, it's not out of his control. No matter what you're facing, it's not the end. No matter what you're facing, it's not so low that you cannot reach God's hand that is right there waiting for you. And when we reach out to God and we take his hand, and then we take a step in faith, you know what happens? Trusting God always leads to more than we expected. 
Nehemiah just wanted to go and rebuild the wall. He didn't just go to rebuild. He got everything he needed from the king's own treasury and from his own forest to go and rebuild the wall. And I'm not saying that God is necessarily going to fill your wallet. I'm not saying that your health is always going to be perfect. That's a prosperity gospel, and that's not the full gospel that we read about in the Bible. When God says, I came to give you life in abundance, God doesn't think that the amount of zeros on your paycheck is going to give you life of abundance because you can have 10 zeros, you still won't have abundance if you're not content, if you don't have peace, if you don't have hope. And I cannot promise you how God will bless you. I cannot promise you how, what he will give you more than you expected. But I can tell you when we trust Jesus above all else, he will give us more than we expected, more than what is necessary. God, I want to stand in the gap. That's why we left an established church. We felt there was a gap and God called us to stand in it. And it feels like, again, we have to restart. And I'm like, God, why did all of this happen? But God is like, I don't care about why. I care about someone who's willing to, despite setbacks, despite fear, I care about someone who's willing to stand in the gap in boldness and in faith. I want to do that. I want to intercede for a spiritual condition of South Africa. I want to intercede for the corruption in South Africa. I want to intercede for our widows and for, for our children, our orphans. I want to intercede for gender violence. I want to intercede against racism. I want to intercede for all these issues we complain about. I want to stand in the gap. A rebuild always starts with seeing the potential. So I want to challenge you this week to make a decision To stand in that gap. There is potential in your marriage. It's not the end. There is potential in the relationship. It's not the end. There is potential in South Africa. There is potential in our people. There is potential in all the brokenness after COVID. In COVID. So why don't you make the decision to take that first step? Gavin, can you go to the next slide? Stop making excuses. And start praying about your rebuild this week. That's your homework for this week. Don't look at stuff. Don't go and sit in the swimming pool around the fire and complain about everything in life that's going wrong. Go on your knees first thing in the morning and start praying about them. If you can do that for a whole week, we'll talk next week about the next step. That's all you have to do. Set a reminder on your phone. Pray about everything that you feel is broken. They're like, but what is a prayer? We'll see what a prayer is. A prayer changed Nehemiah's direction of his life forever. It changed the future of a city forever. So stop making, excision, making excuses. Make that decision. Take the first step. This week, start praying about your rebuild. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are all we need, that you are all we have when things can't get lower. You are enough. Your grace is enough. God, when I look around me, I see the need for you everywhere. I see it in broken marriages. I see it in broken relationships. I see it in people caught in addiction and sin that they can't get free of. I see it in corruption. I see the need for Jesus in our government. I see the need for Jesus in our churches and in our schools and in our businesses. 
And I pray that in every sphere of life, every area in government, in politics, in business, in schools, in churches, in friendship groups, that you would call out people who are bold enough to stand in faith and to make a difference. God, I pray that you would remove every excuse from our hearts. I pray that our hearts would break for the things that break your heart like that wall broke Nehemiah's heart. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is normally the part where I say we're going to give our offerings to God. It's not so simple with COVID, right? We don't want to want to send a a little bucket around and everyone's touching it. So this is what we're going to do. Can you put that slide back on for me, please? Um, There's a slide with a SnapScan barcode. So if you have SnapScan, you can scan the barcode. Um, You can scan the barcode. I don't know if our phones would see it all the way on the screen, but it's also on our connection table. Um, You can give your EFT, and when you leave, at the doors, there will be people with buckets, and you can put, if you brought cash with you, you can put it in the bucket, and in that way, we don't have to touch everything. Then the second thing is our connection card. Luckily, we've got all of your info. If you came into the building today, we have to keep it. Um, that's, That's part of the regulations, but if you decided today you want to restart your relationship with Jesus... If you decided today you want to join a community group, because every Wednesday we're meeting in community groups, that's where life change happens. That's where we move this message that we heard about from our ears to our hearts. That's where we put it, start putting it into practice. So if you want to join a community group, if you want to talk about your next step in faith, then on the next slide, there is another barcode that you can scan. Can I get the next slide, please? Um, okay, it's not that one. But that's also on the connection table, um, or you can go to prodeo.org.za slash connect, and there you can fill in a digital connection card, and you can tell us exactly, um, there's a couple of blocks you can mark, you can say, I want to take a next step, or I want to be baptized, or I want to um, follow Jesus, or whatever it might be, mark it, and then we will get back to you. There's also connection cards on the connection table that you can complete. If you're watching online, same for you. You can pay with Zapper, you can do EFTs on our website, prodeo.org.za slash give, or go to slash connect um, for our connection cards. So that's it from my side. I want us to pray, and then we're going to have some coffee if you're in the building. If you're watching online, make your own coffee at home, and um, And we miss you guys. But let's stand, and I want to pray God's blessing over your lives. By the way, next week is Communion Sunday, so if you're watching online, make sure that you've got your elements ready for next Sunday service. If you're in the building, we will have sealed communion cups um, with the cracker and the the juice is sealed in, so so you won't get COVID poisoning, and um, we'll, we'll be safe. So next week is Communion, so make sure that you are here. But let's, I just want to pray God's blessing over your lives. God, I pray for every single person hearing this message today. I pray that you would bless us with hearts that cannot look past the brokenness of this world without being broken by it. I pray that you would give us faith to stand boldly and fearlessly in the gap. And I pray that you would show us the direction of where to go next. We pray it in Jesus' name. We all say... Amen. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you next week, same place, same time.